Hello and welcome to Beyond Lithium, the podcast that looks at the future of clean energy storage beyond the third element. I'm your host, Nate Kirchhofer. In this episode, I'm really excited to be joined by Tim Montague, a solar developer, solar and storage expert, coach, and consultant with over 30 years of experience in technology, sustainability, and triple bottom line business. As president of the Clean Power Consulting Group and host and creator of the highly popular Clean Power Hour podcast, for which I was honored to record an episode just a few weeks back, Tim has helped dozens of technology entrepreneurs and businesses grow and create a positive impact. His motto, which I love, is let's grow solar and storage. Tim, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, Nate. It's really great to be here. So you've dug in quite a bit on the storage landscape on your show, as well as the solar side. And, you know, literally your first episode back in April of 2021 covered energy storage in the context of rooftop solar. So can you tell me about any big transformations or meta level trends that you've seen in the storage market since then? It's still early days for storage. But there's definitely some noteworthy trends, and and that is that storage is now exploding onto the scene. It's it's been there, of course, for the last five years, but it has now gotten to a point where it's it's now coming onto the grid in volume, and this is reflected in so many different statistics. Whether you look at corporate you know, clean energy purchase agreements, power purchase agreements, those are converting to solar and storage. You look at utilities and what they're doing with fleets of fossil assets. These are coal and natural gas burning power plants. Companies like Excel and many others, Vistra is another great example of this, are converting entire fleets to solar and storage or solar wind and storage and um a great statistic is that and this is from a story by my my co-host john weaver who's a journalist for pv magazine that energy storage investment is up 55 percent in 2022 versus 2021 uh so it's still early days, but I like to say that if you're an energy professional, you need to be a storage professional, whether you're in solar, wind, or some other form of clean energy, you also need to know about storage. You don't have to be a hardcore technologist, and I'm a techie and a, and a geek for technology, so I, I love to learn about all the new technologies, and there's many. And and it is a little intimidating, frankly, Nate, uh, having guys like you on the show is is not easy for me. I'm a layperson. I'm a biologist by training, but um, have been working in solar photovoltaics since 2016 full time. So I don't know. I think you're better. Uh, you're a better person to answer that question, honestly. So I'm curious. Like, what do you see as far as meta trends? I, I was I was somewhat vague and grandiose there, but it it truly is. 2023 is going to be a landmark year. And the you know the next two decades are just going to be a massive, massive transformation of the grid, um, and and you know some other things too, which which we can talk about. But you know like climate change, um, mm -hmm. or or conflict around um, you know precious elements. Um, it's game on for the clean energy transition. 
and China is dominating the scene. We're we're playing catch up, but uh, we're giving it a run. Yeah, I think yeah, you touched on a couple great points there. I really hope that we don't, you know, start a something like a lithium war <laughs> or something like that, you know, based on our build out of infrastructure around that. But yeah, I think I mean lithium lithium ion really has dominated the energy storage landscape, and there's other great technologies out there you know compressed air energy stores there's flywheels there's flow batteries like what i do 95 percent. a lot of people don't know this 95 percent of the energy storage that we have in our society is pumped hydroelectric which is like dammed rivers but the problem is we can't keep developing that and if anything we actually need to like deconstruct some of that so that our waterways are not uh, messed up by that technology so we really do need to explore other things but yeah i think you know i'm really rooting for all types uh, to sort of answer your question because each one kind of has its important niche, right? Lithium ion is lightweight. We can put it in mobile applications. Things like flow batteries, you know, they're more for stationary storage because they weigh more, but that doesn't matter when you install it out in the desert with a solar farm or a wind farm or something like that. And then there's even longer things like seasonal energy storage where we can talk about, you know, Stirling engines that are converting ammonia to nitrogen and back or, or hydrogen fuel cell technology where you know you, you we could possibly use the existing infrastructure for natural gas to store hydrogen or, or transport hydrogen so we need all of them right it's uh they each sort of serve a different market need um yeah and i think that's a that's kind of a good segue to another question you know thinking about many of your podcast podcast episodes You've kind of literally gone from A to Z. You know, you had uh, Alsim sort of recently, and you've talked to zinc companies. So I think you know <laughs> A to Z there. But like, given what you've learned, what what are some of the use cases that you see alternate storage materials taking a leading role in over the next ten years, five to ten years? Yeah, it is interesting when you look at what's going on in the field. The vast majority of the solutions are either flow batteries or lithium ion, as far as I can tell. And of course, it depends on what I mean by the field. If you're talking transportation, of course, then it's lithium. If it's stationary storage, then it's lithium, but also flow batteries, um, like Form Energy, you know, and their iron air battery. Uh, some big announcements coming out of Form Energy for stationary storage i mean they have a 10-hour solution it's it's something that lithium ion is not suited for and and then you see zinc and manganese solutions uh seemingly getting traction when i you know i i have a limited purview so we, we have to take what i say with a certain grain of salt um most of the non-lithium companies that I get exposed to are very small and at the pilot stage. The lithium companies are further along and some noteworthy ones that I've had on the show recently is a company called Fryer Battery. It's a Norwegian company. Uh, they're building a gigafactory in Norway uh, to compete with Northvolt, which is a Swedish company but now they're also going to prop up a factory in georgia a gigafactory in georgia in the u.s and then another uh, an american company called america's battery factory 
we had Paul Charles, their CEO on the show, and they're doing um, lithium ion, pretty traditional uh, lithium iron phosphate and building a gigafactory in Tucson, Arizona. And they have a partnership with a company called Lion Energy, which is popular in the uh, mobile, uh, like RV world. They make batteries for, for RVs or small uh, solar and storage microgrids. So anyway, um, I don't doubt that there will continue to be, you know, this diversification of technologies. Um, chemistry is amazing. And, you know, there's many ways to store electrons <laughs> in molecules. It just happens that, you know, lithium is the third most common element in the universe. It's uh, a very light metal. And, and so it has pretty good properties. Now, its thermal runaway properties are problematic, and that opens up opportunities for others. You know, the, right. the Navy doesn't want to put lithium ion on its boats or submarines because of the thermal runaway problems. And so they're looking at zinc technology and probably other technologies. Yeah. And I don't have a crystal ball. It's, it's very difficult to know what exactly is going to, you know, go head to head with lithium if, if something does. Um, and I, I don't doubt that something will in, in certain segments, but I think lithium is going to be there as well. It's a, it's a both and world. I like to say. Yep. I just want to respond to a couple of things that you said. So you, you mentioned lithium iron phosphate, uh, which is one of the chemistries for lithium ion batteries. The other one is um, lithium nickel manganese cobalt oxide, which uses cobalt. So it, it uh, is a more rare earth uh, based chemistry, but it has a slightly higher output voltage. So those are the two main ones that have been explored by a lot of companies. Um, and I think, your point that the lithium ion companies are a little farther along and bigger is well taken. And I'm wondering, you know, when you're thinking about these other storage technologies, are there other hurdles beyond, we just need to grow, we just need more cash and more resources in these companies? Are there other hurdles beyond that that are going to help or that we need to overcome that would help these alternate technologies, you know, flow batteries, whatever, uh, you know, break in onto the scene, so to speak? I'm not sure. The, you know, it's really all about the use case, right? Like this trend of utilities becoming solar, wind, and storage asset owners, um, companies, as I mentioned, like Excel, they have, you know, pretty specific needs. And so, when they find a solution uh, and it's passing muster in terms of you know cost per kwh uh getting ul certified so it's you know proven uh, on some level to be safe and reliable utilities are are very nervous about reliability right they have a responsibility for 24/7 uptime to keep the grid running and batteries are amazing uh devices right because they are relatively instantaneous um they are two directional right bidirectional they can absorb energy and they can uh, inject energy and so for a grid that is 
modernizing and installing loads and loads of solar and wind, which are intermittent, batteries or some form of energy storage is essential and extremely complementary. And um, that tripartite, solar, wind, and storage, really does solve the problem. Uh, Mark Jacobson has written extensively about this. He's a professor at Stanford University. And um, our, we have all the technology that we need today to truly clean the grid and electrify transportation. And I'm not saying let's give up, let's you know stop evolving technology. To the contrary, technology is like in our blood, right? That's kind of what separates us uh, from our other primate ancestors and other living things is our ability and our and our knack for uh, developing and honing technology and and we're going to continue to do that and you know the the world is our oyster to some extent right there is abundant resources like sunlight and like hydrogen and lithium and for that matter, zinc and manganese, you know, and, and, and so you see zinc and manganese making a run at it. Um, will they ultimately succeed? It's impossible to predict. It's like uh, Betamax versus, versus VHS, even though uh, Betamax was really good technology, VHS won the war. And, and so there are these subtle uh, things that happen in the market around standards and standardization you know you see this in electrification of, of transportation right with charging infrastructure we still don't have a universal standard in the united states not not to mention the world and, you know you have the tesla network and then you have other a couple other standards and that's just a pain in the butt for consumers yeah, um, I didn't actually know that. That's that's kind of silly that there's not a standardized. <laughs> wow. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a relic of of things just being early stage. Still, it is the wild west, and that is the nature of new technologies. When they first come onto the scene, there just isn't a universal standard typically, and and we're we're the type of economy and um, governance system that you know encourages diversity. And kind of says, well, let's let the ma the best man win. <laughs> and, Which is why we have four different types of USB plugs, and all the phones have different <laughs> charging ports and things like this. I think. Yeah, there's but now you do see some unification even there, right? Where That's like right. the EU is forcing Apple to migrate, I think, to uh, USB C. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if that's happening in the U.S. I'm a, I'm an Android guy. Uh, my family members all use uh, Apple devices, so they're in my in my life. But uh, I'm also Android. But yeah, we're we're communicating through USB-C right now, so it's uh, it's definitely making yeah. its way. Yeah. But it, I think one thing to summarize what, some of what you said, I think the key hurdle that I think you mentioned is really this sort of bankability. Like there's a, a policy component to things too, like the utilities as asset owners of, of grid, like solar and storage assets, they need to know that the assets themselves are going to keep working, but also that they, the financials around them are going to work. And that's what I mean by bankability is, is sort of like we can depreciate an asset over a certain amount of time and understand sort of its operational lifetimes and things like that. And to me, that, that seems like a big hurdle. Lithium ion 
and you know Tesla and some of these other companies, they've managed to get into the room with the policymakers. And we just need some of these other technologies to get there as well. And in one other thing I was thinking too, when you were mentioning some of these other metals like manganese and zinc, I think aluminum is a metal that could have a lot of success if we can figure out how to make it rechargeable. So right now, if you make an aluminum battery, it basically just disintegrates, it's a single use. But mm. every, every aluminum atom can accept three electrons as compared to lithium, mm. which is one, or zinc, which is two. So the energy density could be very high for lithium if the chemistry gets figured out. But so far, that's an unsolved problem. Wait for aluminum. Uh, yeah. You said for lithium. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm, yeah. Aluminum, three electrons. Lithium, one electron. Yeah. Aluminum yeah. would be great. Um, yeah, well, I'm with you. And and uh, no thermal runaway problem with mm -hmm. aluminum, right? And it's super um, abundant. I mean, lithium is just crazy, right? You you take a piece of raw lithium and you throw it in a glass of water and it catches on fire. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> and I've, I've done, you know, glove box chemistry and other experiments with, with lithium metal. It's actually a very soft and interesting metal, but it reacts with everything. If you yeah. touch it wrong, it turns black and it's unusable it's or you use it in a nitrogen glove box which you think oh that's going to be inert nope lithium reacts with nitrogen oh really so, yeah i had no idea yeah wow that's it's, incredible because uh, nitrogen extremely is... reactive it's extremely hmm. reactive yeah okay well yeah. i, I want to pivot to a different question for you which i think is is related more to the podcasting side of things sure. like let's talk about communications you spent a ton of time with clean energy leaders telling their stories and i'm curious you know what lessons they can offer others in the clean tech space so what what's one or two pieces of practical advice of or you know maybe examples of really great explanations of value propositions in the market yeah and i think this applies uh to all business it's not just clean tech businesses um, I see a theme though, that ideas are cheap and it's the people that make technologies and companies happen. So surround yourself with teams or build teams of people that are smarter than you. If you're in charge of building the team or you have a say in the building of the team, uh, set a goal to, you know, Create a team that's that's super smart and capable because all other things being equal, it's it's that group of people cooperating and successfully collaborating and brainstorming and building relationships and creating technologies and ultimately creating markets that are going to make the difference and help us go further faster. You know, my mission at the Clean Power Hour is to speed the energy transition. It is one of the transitions that society is going through in the next 50 years. It's not the only transition. We see the AI emerging now with the whole um, chatbot thing. That's just the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot of other types of AI being developed out there. And if we were to develop an artificial general intelligence, meaning an AI that's even smarter than us and more generally capable than a human, that could cause an AI explosion. And that could be a more serious existential threat than climate change, which is why I'm so passionate about the clean energy transition, because it is, in many respects, a primary answer to that problem of avoiding 
runaway climate change. Can we do it fast enough is still a question. The PPMs in the atmosphere are still going up. I don't see energy professionals talking enough about this. We have to leave fossil fuels in the ground. And so that's another, I guess, theme is that energy leaders recognize that this transition is a vital and mission-critical transition for humanity. It will happen one way or another, right? Like Homo sapiens have gone through many energy transitions before, and there's probably several ahead of us um, that we just can't imagine yet. If we if we are able to hold on to modern society, and it would just be a travesty to let that slip away because we didn't make the energy transition in you know in the twenty uh, in the twenty twenties to twenty fifty range uh, like we could. So those are the two big ones for me. Um, yeah, build a great team and and be super passionate for the energy transition. Yeah, and it's really just about communicating along those lines. I think, yeah, when I, I like to, the way I like to phrase sort of what you just said is right now we still have to burn fossil fuels to extract the materials to make the renewable energy technologies that we have. And we need to get to the point in our society where we can manufacture renewable energy tech using renewable energy. And so that's, that's the goal, you know, it's like right now we can't even keep the lights on with it. We need to get way beyond that. We need to, you know, 200 to 1000 X our energy storage and our renewable energy integration. And I, you know, I was listening to another podcast uh, recently where they were talking about, you know, just like what makes a good enterprise and, you know, what are the, what's the most important aspect of it? And, you know, the team was the top of the list. If you don't have a good team, everything else kind of falls away. But then right close behind that is, you know, you need to have good secret sauce. Your technology actually needs to be effective. And then there's communication. You're gonna need to meet metrics and your timing in the market need to be good. Those are the sort of the five key things that were said on that podcast. Um, but mm -hmm. I just, I appreciated you identifying, you know, put build a good team. As yeah, a, and I'm glad you pointed out the timing thing. It is, it is, uh, it is strange, I guess, how important timing is. You know, electric vehicles aren't new. They were some of the first motorized vehicles that we had uh, 100 years ago. And But once the internal combustion engine vehicle came along, it just swept the field as being more cost-effective and convenient at that time. Now we've come full circle. And, you know, it took Elon Musk uh, investing in Tesla. He did not invent Tesla. He, uh, he sidled up to them after, you know, selling PayPal. So he had a war chest and he put a huge part of his war chest into Tesla. So for the Tesla haters out there or the Elon Musk haters, he put his money where his mouth is. He believes in the energy transition passionately. Ultimately, his mission is to go to Mars and establish a permanent colony on Mars as a backup plan for Earth because the Earth is going to get hit by a meteor at some point that will snuff out most of civilization, if not all of it, right? We, we see this in the fossil record. It's undeniable that this has happened many times, massive, massive extinction events. And so that meteor is out there. 
It's just a question of when, not if. And yeah, we might be able to deflect some of them, you know, conceivable, right? Mm -hmm. Physically possible, but uh, it's not a bad idea to build a backup plan. And, and I support that. We should use 1% of our resources What is what Elon says. Now, mm. Elon has gone to crazy town with the whole Twitter thing. And that's, the, that's his double edge. We all have a double edge. He's a genius. And he's also crazy. And so he does weird things. It's a fine and line between the easy, two. <laughs> he's not an easy person to get along with or to love, I don't think. But he is somebody that I appreciate because he is really building the energy transition before our eyes. And, and you know, the, the gigafactories and the mass production of really good EVs is, is a great example for others to look up to. You know, like if I was an industrialist, I would go study how Elon builds gigafactories and designs each one to be even better than the previous, right? The machine yeah. that builds the machine, he likes to say. And that is an amazing thing. Like they're, cr they're cranking out 200,000 model Ys already from Berlin, the gigafactory that just opened last year, you know, it, it, yeah, it I is think truly I saw that on LinkedIn stunning. yesterday. Yeah. It and, is. and, and unfortunately I think companies like Rivian are really uh, going to have a rough, a rough start because going from small, you know, volume to massive volume of EV production is very, very hard, as Elon likes to say. So he's been able to help Tesla solve some problems that that many or most ordinary people just cannot solve. And and you know, it's the proof is in the pudding. But we'll see. You know, I think Volkswagen and Ford and um, mm -hmm. you know, certainly Hyundai. Like if I could be buy a new mm -hmm. EV today, I would buy a Hyundai. I love what they're up to design wise yeah. and they're all about the smart home, you know, solar, batteries, EV charging. That's the home of the future. In 10 years, oh, yeah. we'll all have batteries and EV chargers in our driveways. No question. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, totally. Uh, sign me up. I think it's, I think it's awesome. I, I agree with you with a lot of what you just said that just, it's awesome that Elon and Tesla have brought the public along. People in our country are, and globally, honestly, are aware of the need for renewable energy and batteries and solar and these things. And so it's become popularized and that that's part of the timing being good, right? There's a, there's a social appetite for these technologies and we're not fighting against that in addition to climate change. And I like your, your uh, meteor comment too, because it could be a, you know, a, a metaphorical meteor as well, right? Like if we do something drastic on the planet without an actual space rock hitting us, that would do the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, so we could have a nuclear winter. Ex exactly. You know, the, the nuclear clock effect. is is closer to midnight than it's ever been before for good reason. Uh, there is a lot of conflict going on in the world between humans. And that's the thing is I, I say this on posts on LinkedIn, you know, like we are literally shooting ourselves in the foot by doing things like purposely slowing down the permitting of solar, wind, and storage projects around the United States. And there are groups that have dedicated their entire existence to doing this. And I'm just going, yep, this is the great filter unfolding right before our eyes. You know, it's, yeah, shooting yourself in the foot is the exact right way to say that. Well, we've been, we've been talking for a little while. I want to ask one more question, and then we can wrap it up. On your podcast, what is a, an energy storage development or let's let's say clean tech generally since you've seen a lot what's a technology or a development that 
you encountered that surprised you? The one that stands out for me is a company called Rondo Energy. And they have a thermal heat battery. It's a hot brick battery. You make heat with electric resistance using an iron core, just like in your toaster. Your toaster has these iron coils in it. And you run electricity through them and they heat up. And it's very efficient, actually. And you can make the, the heating element extremely hot, 1600 degrees C, and then you store that energy in industrial bricks. And this brick technology is a thousand years old. It's old and it and these bricks can be made pretty much anywhere on earth. So you can make the technology locally. And then you build a massive renewable energy facility next door, let's say a wind farm or a solar farm, and just feed that electricity into the battery. And you don't even have to connect to the grid. And so you can literally take a steel plant that was running on coal and dirty electricity and, and green that manufacturing process and make green steel with just clean electrons. There's other ways to make green steel, like with green hydrogen. Sure. But Rondo really um, was an aha for me. And industrial heat is a massive CO2 footprint in, in our grid, right? And upwards, I think, of 30% of CO2 emissions come or can be tied to industrial heating. And so if we can solve that problem with clean electrons, we definitely want to do that. And, um, and Rondo's doing it. That's really amazing. I, I also wonder too, and this is just, I'm speculating. I wonder if the heat generated in those bricks could even be used in the steel making process. You know, if there's a way to not only get the electrical energy, but also use that heat for some, some process, you know, smelting or whatever it might be. How interesting. Yeah, there's a, there's another company called, Boston Metal, who was oh, on the show recently, and they have a process called molten oxide electrolysis, which I cannot explain. But again, they're using clean electrons, running them into some kind of a machine that creates heat, and then uh, you can you can process cool. you can process metals with this uh, electrolysis. And not only actually, steel, but but other precious metals as well. I bet I know what that is based on what you just said. You melt down a metal oxide, and then while it's in the liquid state, you do electrochemistry, which is you know what I focus on. Yeah. And electrolysis means splitting with electricity. And so basically you take a, a molten metal oxide, which has been reacted with oxygen, so it's oxidized, so it, it has lost its uh, free electrons, and you reduce it using electrochemistry and you'd probably be able to plate back out metals selectively or um, have some sort of re reversible electrochemical process because the oxide is in the liquid state that's super cool how awesome well yep. it's been amazing having you on the show to just talk about your perspective on the market and communications and all these cool technologies thanks again for being on the show i really appreciate it my pleasure i really enjoyed this thanks to you for tuning in. Again, I'm Nate Kirchhofer, co-founder and CEO of BioZen Batteries, which produces this show. My guest was Tim Montague, president of the Clean Power Consulting Group. Be sure to check out his podcast, Clean Power Hour, which you can find at cleanpowerhour.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts. 
If you'd like to interact more, you can send us an email at hello at biozenbatteries.com or leave us a voice message with the link below the episode on the hosting site. Many thanks to Curtis Worden for the great theme music and Abe Mesrich for helping with all the little things behind the scenes. Be sure to join us next time on the Beyond Lithium podcast.